Welcome back to another episode of Season 5 of the RAG Podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season, we're a little bit different. How do you, as a recruitment leader and founder, maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work? How do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally? And how do you find time for yourself in the madness? How do you find time for self-interest, for hobbies and self-improvement? Well, to help you with this, I'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast. I'm coming off the back of a significant heat wave um, and trying to cool down, but bringing you today another episode with one of the uh, one of the most exciting business leaders I think in the UK right now in our in our sector. This is Tony Phoenix Coles. Tony is the managing director of Digital Gurus, which is a sixty six person organization with four office locations, part of the Rethink Group, that specialise in a number of areas, but most notably technology and digital recruitment. Tony has been in the sector since she left university, and for the first few years was quite open that she made quite a lot of money, but didn't necessarily see her career staying in recruitment. She then got into leadership and management. She moved to Manchester, joined Rethink, and her career has grown so rapidly that now she's the managing director. The founder, a guy called Faz, brought her under a wing, gave her the opportunity to lead the Northern office, and then gave her the whole reins of the business. In this episode, we spoke about Tony's philosophy of leadership, building a recruitment business. We also spoke about how she's a mother. She only, she's got two small children under the age of four that she has managed to give birth to and raise whilst her her career grew. Most women take a sidestep and unfortunately have to deal with that stigma that can I be a mother and can I elevate my career? Well, it can it can happen. Tony's a, an example of that. And it's amazing to see there's females in her business doing similar things now. Tony's trying to build a, an amazing business globally. Um, she's super energetic, super humble, and she's got that priority right look her, her family are her priority she's taken a month off to spend the whole summer with her kids from august this year and we talked we spoke about the whole lot so super inspirational super genuine um and a real great representation of female leadership in our sector which i do believe is is, is very well underrepresented right now so without further ado tony welcome to the rag podcast welcome hello it's great to have you on Oh, thanks for having me on, Sean. I'm excited to chat with you, actually. No, not a problem. Not a problem. We are uh, just coming off the back of a major heat wave. Um, the, the UK's hottest ever days on record. Um, I'll be honest, last night, I, I was like, thank God it's cooling down. I was, I'd had enough. I don't know about you. Oh, I was. Four o'clock this morning, I had all my bedroom windows open and I went and grabbed my duvet off the floor to put it back around me. I was felt, delighted. Felt the air coming, changing. I went down. We um, we gave the kids the fan. So we we, we got in bed and we're like, this is just not fair. So we went downstairs, opened the bifolds and slept on the sofa. We got a sofa bed downstairs. We slept oh, on that. Wow. Three dogs. Because <laughs> we've got my, my partner's 
mum's dogs with us because a little 12 year old chihuahua we've got the cockapoo and the french bulldog all sleeping on this sofa bed it was hilarious. but it was nice <laughs> oh, fresh air um well tony look i'll give you a brief introduction uh, a minute ago but i can never do it justice so could you for anyone who's listening who doesn't know you just give us the kind of the today version of who you are right now like your role the business etc right now we'll go back to the start and your career in a minute but bird's eye view of you and the business right now yeah, of course I can. So I'm the Managing Director at Digital Gurus. We are a tech recruitment agency, uh, mm-hmm. mostly, but we also work across supply chain, logistics, healthcare and creative. Right. Uh, but tech's probably our predominant focus. Uh, I'm a mum of two, so I've got a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, I love the fact I have two little children and they're my main focus. Like I love showing that it's possible to have an amazing balanced life. I think it's really important to encourage those around you. So I, I do buzz off that. Um, and yeah, I actually just, I love my job and I love recruitment. And if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, I'd be giving you a very, very different answer because I just <laughs> didn't value the industry at all. Really? And yeah, and everything's just changed. So yeah, I'm just like this. I don't know, maybe like one of your, your cockapoo or something like some just sprightly giddy animal at the minute where I'm just kind of loving life. So well, yeah. I, I, I looked, you know, at, looked at your background. We we went to I think you went to uni the year before me, so a similar age. Two thousand and four, yeah. I went. I yeah. went to Sheffield. You went to Leeds, right? And you did yes. you did a was it a science degree? No, absolutely what, not. What Dreadful at science. I did an economics degree. Economics, right? I don't know where I got Bachelor of Science, isn't it? BSc. I've read that. Too. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was you did an economics degree. So what was? What was driving you at that point? What were you thinking of doing? Did you have any, because no one goes, I want to be a recruiter. So what was of your vision? Course. No, I didn't, no, it was hilarious really. So I, I I was really fortunate. I went to a really, really good secondary school. Mm. Um, and it was in that secondary school. I would have never thought about uni. Like no one in my family has been to uni. That's just not oh, in our like background at all. And because I just followed suit, you know, you go to UCAS meetings and everything with all the yeah. various uh, teachers at the time. I, I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do. I wrote two UCAS forms, I sealed them both, I mixed them up and I posted one and I threw the other one in the bin. So I had absolutely no idea what I was going to study until they came back. So it was was, that, was that for the, the course and the actual uni? Or we... So I always wanted to go to Manchester, Leeds or Newcastle. They were my right. three. So where, did you, where did you grow first. up? Pardon? Where, we, where did you grow up? Were you near there? Or? Grew up in Preston, went to a school in Blackpool. Right. And... Yeah, it, it was either psychology or economics. They were the two right. UCAS forms that I completed. Right. Uh, I, lo- I liked them both at A-level. I thought economics would have been a bit hard because I didn't do a maths A-level and there's yeah. a lot of maths carrying through to uni. But equally, I thought there'd be a lot more money if I did that. So I was torn. So I left it up to fate. Uh, at 18, you don't care all that much. Uh, it ended up that I did economics. So Manchester was my first choice, but I didn't get in because uh, I needed three A's and I got a B on in my economics, actually. Hmm. Um, and I got through on clearing in Leeds. So that's right. where I ended up going to. Um, and it was amazing. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't do a huge amount in my degree there. Um, yeah. Because I'd gone to such a good school where their teaching focus was so good, I learned a lot about the kind of learner I am. Yeah. So if it's if it's forced and it's around me, I'm, I'm a big doer. Whereas if I'm left on my own to go and read things and be self-taught, that's shocking. So uni didn't uni didn't do that well for me, if I'm honest. I had an amazing time and I met the best friends of my whole life. And it really, it shaped me as a person. Like who I was at 18 was just maybe a little bit wild, maybe a bit too wild. Uh, and I needed a lot of support at that time, which I got from that friendship group. 
I think that <laughs> the decision to write and bin one, I think, is incredible for an 18-year-old. Like, I just didn't know what to do. So I didn't have anyone to really give me any advice. Yeah. So I just left it to fate. Sounds like me. I literally went to... I I got in. I was mine was psychology or oh, art, psychology art or PE. Okay. With my three, my three A levels, and then I got to the end, and I wasn't doing that well in PE. I was a bit bored. Of, I didn't like science. I didn't. I was. I did amazing at psychology, but my art teacher was my the one I liked the most. So he was like, "You should be an architect." He says, "You you know the way you draw is brilliant, but you're not." He says, "You're not the most." Um, I don't really care about literature within art I just like drawing and he's like you, you could do it so I went on an architecture degree and within a week I know I was on the wrong I was in the wrong place like they, they they really need you to care about buildings and stuff and I just didn't care I was like okay. so I went and pitched myself to the dean of the sports faculty at Sheffield Hallam and blagged my way into a sports course and I don't know how I did it because they were sending me home one minute and the next I got on a got, got on another <laughs> course and then I kicked the model I was this little architecture model I was building with polystyrene. Me and my mates kicked it around our halls of residence when we celebrated me getting on the new course. Um, oh, but I would agree. I did. I had a very amazing time. Met so many amazing people. I live in Sheffield now, which is where I went to uni and stuff. And okay. um, I but I didn't do that much work. I was useless. In fact, I didn't. It's I didn't. Hard respond, that age. Yeah. And with all the what, like you said, I didn't respond well to the. I'm the sort of guy that will always leave things to the end and do quite well from cramming it in like that's how I even now I've got a to-do list as long as you've your arm yeah. I always work out what's the last moment I could get away with doing something yeah. and I'll do it because if I've yeah. got loads of time I just won't do it I think a lot of people are like that and, and I'm a bit similar now and I can get away with it now because I, I know what I'm doing mm. but in a an economics degree when you've got macro and microeconomics if you haven't really been to many lectures you can try all you want but you're not getting it in the last no. couple of weeks if you've not been there I, I did okay, don't get me wrong. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a really, really challenging degree. Just that I found the math side, the statistics side, just I, I didn't do a maths A level, so I feel like I needed to have done that. Oh, there's no way I'd have survived there. And then how did you get into recruitment? Oh, God, it's the most random story. Um, I, so I, I've not never come for much money within my family. And for me, money just represented like a lot of choice. So the school yeah. that I went to, um, it was a private school you had to pay for. I was really fortunate um, that I didn't have to pay from being on a scholarship. And what I learned from that school was uh, just, it was a horrible feeling saying no to all the things that you were asked to do. Yeah. Um, I remember my first pair of school shoes. They were from this place called Tommy Balls. There was a bargain bucket. They had these buckles on them. Oh, oh. my God, they were horrific. Everyone else had kickers. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm like the scrot. Um, <laughs> my bags weren't branded. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my family did all right. My, my dad, my, my family are legends. My dad's just a, a local farmer and a milkman, best guy ever. And my mom was a social worker, but had four yeah. children. Um, yeah. We just lived like on a farm and then we lived in a caravan. So proper random story. So I think what I learned from school was just I really needed to be independent and I really needed to not be financially um like burdened by anybody or anything so yeah, yeah. um all I wanted was a job with money basically so obviously I went to university and then I, I just found then and even maybe now there's only like so many job titles that you can think of and it's the obvious ones lawyer doctor solicitor accountant yeah. and you don't really know the full scope of jobs at that age at that time in university I hope it's a bit broader now so I went to apply for the law school in Leeds 
um, because I thought, well, all lawyers are rich. Um, yeah. And I got a loan in my bank. Uh, I got the letter from NatWest because I had to do two years because they were both conversions, um, GDL and an LPC. And the total loan value was about 50, 55 grand. And then I was just like thinking to myself, I'm going to be 23. I'll have my 12 grand debt from uni. There's 53 here, like 65 grand at that time. I mean, mm. it's still a lot now, but I mean, it yeah. was astronomical. Yeah. I was so frightened that at 23, I would just literally have a noose around my neck for the, what felt like would be the rest of my life. So I deferred entry for 12 months and thought I'll just work for 12 months. And I had um, a lad who lived in my corridor in this flat in Leeds and he came in one day, he was about 25, Cockney guy. Um, he had a pinstripe suit on, a bright red tie, very fancy watch. And he came in like with this bottle of something and he was like, look what my client got me today. I'm thinking, who is this guy? Yeah, like, what is doing? going on here? And he told me about his job and he was like, you know, we're looking actually. Um, and long story short, it was for an S3 brand at the time. I went through four interviews, went down to London they are remarkable um, or were remarkable at making you believe that you wanted that job more than anything else. I didn't even consider yeah. another agency. I didn't consider anything else. I just know that when I got that offer, I was the most grateful human being in the world. Um, it was ridiculously tough. And I worked there for about 18 months doing a, a very like, niche uh, development desk on contract. So yeah, it was mental, and that's how I got into it. But on a seventeen grand a year salary, I didn't. I didn't do amazing. It took me a little bit longer to like click with recruitment, uh, but I think I earned about twenty nine grand in my first year. So yeah. when I was looking at where my friends were at that time, the ones that had all got first, unlike myself, they were on these really fabulous graduate entry courses, which were you know twenty two k, twenty three k, and I was out earning them. And as much as I love my friends, I was always really competitive with just knowing that I was doing better, but just on that one yeah. kind of measure of the annual salary. Yeah. So then how did that that progress for you? Because you said, you know, if you'd have asked you 10 years ago, you weren't that into recruitment. How long did, how did, I don't want to go like through every role. And no, every no, that's month, cool. But... I, I can give you a synopsis. So that yeah. was me at 21. So me at 21 to 27, I have three recruitment jobs. I was, as I say, in my wilder days in Leeds, had a wonderful time, big group of mates, clubbing every weekend, working crazy hours in the week. Uh, I didn't enjoy recruitment. I just, I enjoyed my team, but actually it was very, very cold call heavy. Um, I didn't know much about Java development and that was the market that I was always doing. And then, like I say, it just, the way things happened, I left that company after two years because I wanted to dual desk and I found it a tough environment. The next company I went to closed after 10 months. And the next company I went to, I just I was really loyal to the owners, but I had some personal circumstances that meant I just needed some time out. So I'm not sure it was the right move, but it was wonderful. But I went and just did a season in Ibiza. I ended wow. up living there for 10 months instead of just the summer. Um, and then when I came back, I, I just returned to that same company. So it just, it never really clicked. I had nice people that I worked for, but I didn't have any inspirational leaders. It yeah. felt really transactional. So at 27, when I took a rec to rec call, I, thought, I was too loyal to leave my existing employer and go to a competitor in Leeds. So when the rec to rec said, well, look, the thing I was ringing you for, they do have a Manchester office. Um, I thought, you know what, maybe now's the time to leave the city. You know, I've got all my party friends here. 
an ex-boyfriend that I wasn't like, I didn't really want to see anymore. Yeah. I'd fallen out with somebody, and I was like, okay, new city, new time. So that's what I did. And I moved to Manchester, um, purely just for the money. If I'm honest, the commission scheme was it. I worked it out it was thirty eight thousand pounds a year better if I was just to do the same level of billings. Wow. So. Okay. And I was 27 and didn't own anything other than nice handbags, all the superficial stuff. Yeah. Um, so everything changed. And then when I joined Rethink, I've, I've been there 11 years now, and I, I could have worked for like five different businesses. Like it's changed so much. Mm. But when I joined there, um, I wasn't the top biller, which I had been at my previous two companies. So that was really good for me to just graft again and start at the bottom. Uh, and it took a while to get up to that level. But that was just interesting but I was given like way more autonomy in terms of doing things that I felt really passionate about, which was around having a really values led team, uh, building a strong culture, just having a philosophy. Like I have a very strong philosophy that like life is very short is an obvious one. And just to be fulfilled is there's nothing really more important than that. Yeah. And whatever that can be small or big things, I just think it's really important to just pay huge amounts of focus to you, your well-being and all the things around you. And I was just given completely free reign to do that. So like we had me and my mini team just doing good business, like for good people. And we did it in the right way. And that's how everything started. And then I actually started valuing we can really impact people here because if they if we're creating positive change by moving them jobs or career, whatever that looks like, we're facilitating that. And there was just a bit of a light bulb moment. And then I was also doing that with my team because I was developing them as people, their careers. I was supporting them in just having greater choices, some of the things that they were doing that they wanted to do. So, yeah, it was just a real eye opener for, OK, here's now much more of a purpose. And you stayed, did you stay in the tech space or did you try recruiting yeah. different areas? No, I've always been in the tech space. Mm. Um, I recruited, I, I was doing that and recruiting myself for about six years. And then that's when I started taking the leadership roles really seriously. Uh, I was given more and more people. I was hiring more and more people. Um, and then, I don't know, again, maybe another little light bulb moment. I'm a big sports fan, and but I was a sports player. And I was always a bit obsessed by like, I was a centre mid when I played hockey. Steven Gerrard's my idol. Um, and I was always, I was looking at like football teams and I always thought it was the players that won everything. It just never clicked that the managers were so integral, if not the most important influencer oh. within that. Um, so that was a real shift for how I saw things and how we could achieve greater things by me being integral, but by being a leader and how I coach the best out of others. Um, so that has been like the last maybe six or seven years of my career. So you... You went from being effectively a you know a new starter in Manchester to being the yeah. MD of the of the, of a brand that in the in the group. In how many different brands are in Rethink Group? Um, so on, only two actually. Right. Uh, I mean, over the course of the last eleven years, the, there's been probably six or eight. Yeah, and like with any business, it changes so much. Mm. Um, so at the moment, the, the Rethink Group's like it's just a holding name. Digital yeah. Gurus were acquired by Rethink in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, which was just at kind of, I was only two years into my leadership at this time. It's quite an interesting story. So I'd been at Rethink five years. I'd been a biller for five years. I got to a really good level. Um, I was earning loads of money at this time. And I was really enjoying my job because I had a lot of autonomy. 
to develop the teams around me that I was working so closely to. So you might be surprised to hear then that I handed in my notice. Wow, really? um, yeah. So what happened was um, I'd met a guy in Bristol and we'd started dating and we'd done lots of driving up and down the M6. Oh, wow. And you know what it's like in the early days? Like we, we well, he was doing three trips a week. I mean, I don't think his car had any tires left. A long way, yeah. It's a long old way. Yeah, it was crazy. But it was super gorgeous at the same mm. time. Um, so we did that for 12 months, but it was maybe still too early to know if we were going to always be together. Yeah. So we just said, look, we've both done recruitment for 10 years. Why not just call it quits now? We can you easily come back the same company. Then, yeah, that's how we met. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he worked for the Bristol office. Yeah. So then after that 12-month period, we just said, let's go and travel the world. Like, we don't have kids. We've no responsibilities. Um, I, I had a flat then in Manchester, but not a house. I was renting that out. So it was really yeah. easy for us to do. And the original founder of Digital Guru is a guy called Farouk, or Faz, yeah. as I will refer to him. Um, he had just been part of the business maybe for literally two months when we'd made the acquisition and it was a really clever move that Rethink did buying digital gurus because it was around the time, if you remember, just the word digital just got spoken about more than anything else. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. We always talk about IT recruitment and then it all became digital recruitment. And mm. loads of competitors, I don't know how they did it, but they kind of just badged the name digital on the end. I'm assuming they just took a couple of their key consultants and reshifted their focus. So, yeah. for example, I think Michael Page Digital, Harvey Nash Digital, um, there was loads of them that did that, whereas Rethink just went and, acqu- went and acquired the leading digital agency at the time. But they were predominantly across tech and creative and just in London. Um, Faz had maybe spent two months with me. And during that um, handing in of my notice, he just said, I really like how you approach things. You, you're very similar to me in this kind of value sense of and purpose um and i don't want you to go like if you want to go that's fine but if it's just because there's nothing really here for you i'd like to present you with an opportunity so he proposed almost giving me the brand and he said do whatever you want with it run it out of manchester start from scratch take your team however you want to do it because we're just a london agency he was like just do that with the brand and i was really really bought into the brand like just that gut that immediate it just so it was Digital Gurus Manchester that you were going to own, was it? Yeah, that's, that's all I did. That's how I set up. I just took me and my really small team of three, and we still shared the same office as we think. We just went mm. in a little meeting room to the door, and it was the board's decision at the time that we were to compete against each other. So all you did at the time, I think as a business, we were doing about a million NFI, but I was doing 700,000 of that. So all that happened was my 700,000 went with me because I was allowed to keep my customer base. And the rest of the business was obviously then doing 1.3. Now, over the course of about 12 months, my 700 grew with the team that I grew it from. And honestly, it was absolutely amazing. There was just, we had these like little bean bags. We had all these post-its around this tiny glass office, like real startup vibe. But I had so much security because I had this awesome brand that I was representing. Yeah. Um, so a really fun time. And then after about- your traveling trip? Oh, so I didn't go. So how did he? What happened to the guy? Is he? He, he moved up to Manchester and we're married really? now. We're married. Oh, wicked! He's the man, right? I love it. <laughs> no, I right, tell you, what, you know, the poor bloke's got all of his shit in the car. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 
he just handed his notice in and he's he's like, oh fuck's sake. Oh, no, look, Bristol, I'm back. No, no. To be fair, like obviously talked it through with him. He yeah. was really cool. He was like, whatever. Um, I did negotiate. We went and had four weeks in the Philippines and Thailand, so that mm-hmm. was amazing. Like I'd, I'd negotiated that as part of it, and because we'd booked our one way ticket to New York because we were going to go to South America after New York, we went and had a couple of weeks in New York as well at the start of September. Great. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because it's one of them you. So it sounds like an incredible opportunity, but you don't want to, you know, traveling the world is also something that if you, you get excited about and you plan and you think about, like my partner now, I've put it on LinkedIn, but I met her, I was a school teacher in Sheffield after uni and then I did two years there. And then in my final year, so this was t- August 2010, I had my flat in Sheffield was running out of, end of August because it's all student even though I was a teacher, I was living in student accommodation type with my mates. That was end of August, right? So we were okay. flying to in we had a flight to India on October 30th to to go traveling with an open ticket. And my last night in Sheffield on a night out on my birthday in August, I met Lauren. And we had an and she was a teacher as well. She was just starting a job at a local school and I was just finishing mine. And I told her on the night, like, you know, I, I knew we liked each other, but I was like, I'm, go- I'm literally leaving Sheffield next week. I'm going back to Manchester for two months and then I'm off. Then I got a call on the Monday saying, could you stay in the school till October half term? Okay. Because one of the teachers was not coming back. So I was like, yeah. So I, I then moved in with a friend that just so happened to be five minutes away from Lauren. And we did this two month relationship back then. And then I, but I didn't stop the traveling trip. Like I almost, I was gutted when I left her. But yeah. I was like, I've done this traveling trip for two years with my mates. I can't not go. And then two years later, when I got back, she was pregnant and with another guy. And, it, and that was it. We didn't see each other for 10 years. And then it was only oh two years. Oh, my gosh. And we, we reconnected two years ago. And now we're engaged. We're trying for a baby. We're going through uh, – we're buying a house together. Like, it's it's crazy how things oh, work. Wow. That is for me, mental. that trip, I'm really glad I did what I did. I mean, even though I look back now, and I'm like, what would have happened if we'd have stayed together? Um, I think the learnings I've had over the 10 years and the things she's done – bring i think we're better for it but it is mad those decision moments are like yeah yeah to be fair like it's never been a lifelong dream of mine to go traveling i Mm. have every expectation that i will see the world i've been so fortunate that i prioritize things like that so i go away a lot of times a year yeah i I will take my kids with me i'm just going to do it differently like i expect to retire i'm 37 now i think Mm. another I'm mega invested in DG and I can't see me working anywhere else. So I'm going to give myself, I always said I'd only give myself till 40, but that's changed now 45. So I've got eight more years that I want to see. young though, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is. I'm 36 in two weeks. I'm like, I started Hoxwell at 30. I was like, 10 year plan. And now I'm like, I'm gonna do it at 40. I need to the thing is, I love working, but there's a difference, isn't there? There's, There's doing something that you absolutely love. And, and I, I just, I want to take DG as far as I can possibly take it. And I know how quick a year goes. So for me, three years just didn't feel enough anymore. I, I, you know, I've even been openly communicating to my team, like my, my 40 plan guys and girls, like that's changed now. Like you mm-hmm. might be stuck with me a little bit longer. Here's what I want to do. But yeah, by, by 45, if everything goes to the loose plan that I have, I'll be in a really good position and yeah. I'll be able to, you know, when when both my children finish school, I fully expect that we will all go and travel the world. And as I was talking to you before we started this, I'm going away for four weeks now this August. 
I will do that every August. If it works out fine, I'll extend that to maybe eight weeks when they yeah. have their proper school holidays. They're not in school years yet. Yeah. And you just you make it work. Like life's too short for anything else. It's amazing. Got a good team around me. Well, let's go back. I want to, we'll touch on this definitely. Like, yeah. let's go back to when so that you're in that glass office, it's going yeah. well. Yeah. You, you, the guy moved to Manchester, which I'm really happy about. What what happened? Where where did, where did it go? How did you become the MD of the whole thing? Because you've got you've got this business in London, and you're you're building something pretty impressive in Manchester. How did it all unfold? So it, so going back to that philosophy of sports managers. So after the twelve months was up, we had our business. I think we got to fourteen heads. Yeah. Um, we were I don't know. I think we're doing about one point six million. Right? Not loads for the number of heads yeah. as an average, but it was okay. However, because I had been extracted out of the Rethink team, and, and not that I was completely like integral to that, but I was a large part, as were my team. But I think just the way that that business was structured at the time lacked real leadership. So it, it was just, you had some really good performers in there, but huge inconsistencies and no particularly like aligned goals or focus. So I was approached by Faz and the other business leaders at the time to say, look, I know you've been competing. I know you all share the lift. You go left, they go right. And I know you all hate each other. However, we don't have great leadership in Rethink Tony. How would you consider, uh, would you consider taking the leadership role for them? Do it how you want. So either run both divisions, merge them. We don't care. We just want to see if you do that. So the learnings that I was having year on year were just incredible, you know, making loads of mistakes, which I buzzed off, you know, some of the times were really crap, but I do love learning. And what it, did you it was wrong all, then? What did you do wrong? Give us some well, because it was all people centric. You can, you have, you're making decisions all the time. Like people are our products and the whole of the recruitment world's people. And then my whole team were people. So it can be anything from how they were behaving, how you dealt with those things, how I handled my emotions when I was emotionally invested was I short at times? Was I focused? Was I listening more than I was talking? All those various things like that just happened throughout the day. And I was just constantly trying to reflect and just be a better human, basically. Yeah. So how do you take on two two competing teams in the same building? How does that Oh, even... it's mental. So the only know? reason I did it, because this was the analogy I used at the time. Like if someone turned up into Manchester and said, right, City United... We're not having two teams anymore. We're just having Team Manchester. Like, that would that. never work. It would never work in a million no. years. I'm, now, I'm not doing it. Obviously, I'm nowhere near the level of Premiership football teams. Yeah, yeah. But in my small little world, I saw it as like a fascinating opportunity. If I was really going to push myself as a leader, if I could somehow merge the two brands and create like this bigger brand, then that that for me would be probably the biggest learning of my career to date. Um, and rethink had a big contract to book and we didn't because we were literally starting yeah. from scratch so it, it maybe accelerated where i wanted to get to a little bit quicker so that's what i did um it was absolutely mental so there was like 15 people there um i think i probably sacked about uh, probably at least 10 of them yeah. like within the first month or so and not like just went in and just sacked everyone it was having conversations here's what my vision looks like here's the kind of person i am here's what i expect from the team um, if you like it, wonderful. If you don't, you don't. And also looked at performance levels. And I just think you sometimes just have to be a little bit ruthless with that. And it's also okay for people to want to do something else or not want to be a part of that. Yeah, That's yeah, no yeah. Deal, is it? Everyone's got freedom of choice to do what they want. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it was crazy. Um, had some big characters in there. I've actually got now in the team still, I think, I can think of two obvious ones. Yeah, two or three um, that were in that team that are still in the team now. So that's mm-hmm. gone really well. Um, and then what was even more fascinating, so like my, he's always been like my number two right-hand man. Um, he's now one of my SLT. But I hired him at the time that this was all going on, but nobody else in the business knew this was going on other than myself. And I caught wind that he was interviewing for Rethink. Right. And I was like, what's going on to the internal TA team? Like, why am I not interviewing him for DG? And he was up like four stages in, off a stage. So I like swooped in, tried to do the whole DG piece. And then he chose Rethink. But in my head, I'm thinking, I'm just about to merge these two brands in literally yeah. two weeks. Um, and what's so funny now, if you were to ask him, he's like, He's, he's just so pure DG, it's untrue. Um, so it's just a really funny story, actually, and I'd kind of always nudge him a little bit the, for that. The amount of work to go into a rebrand, though, and to merge... <laughs> Massive. Yeah, because you've got to communicate to clients, you've got to think about like your visual identity and documentation, yeah. and just everything has to be changed, right? The, the biggest part was the culture. Like I see all that stuff as just admin, and you've just yeah. got to crack on and get it done. But it's all that's the fairly simpler side. Um, for me, it was building a culture, really setting a shared set of goals, getting to know what my vision was, but how that aligned to everyone else's vision. So it was just, just I didn't mind starting from just like building blocks. Can which you remember like, what your vision was? Could you remember yeah, what, so, yeah. how to describe it? So it was to be the most trusted recruitment partner in the UK whilst being the best place to work. It's not changed. So it's, it's, it's two things, isn't it? It's happy, happy clients and happy staff, really. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Our, what we're trying to do at the minute. It's all we're thinking about all the time. Um, I love that. So, what what steps did you go through to get two competing teams? Did you have to like, did you have to go and do a lot of social together? Was it more about the day to day at the desk? Like, what did you do? Yeah. So we, I, I immediately I ripped the plaster off and rebranded as Digital Gurus, knowing some people wouldn't like it. But I, I did communicate my reasons effectively, I felt. And it almost just gave me an opportunity to see who was open-minded enough to see what that change would bring, who was just not up for it. So therefore they exited straight away. Yeah. And that was also cool because it saved me time. Um, so that happened in the September and the DG team had an annual target to basically just create, turn a 50 grand profit. That's all they had to do over the course of this year. It, it was our first year in business. Yeah. And the Rethink team had their targets. So I just amalgamated the targets and I said, if we do 150 grand profit, we're going to go on holiday together as a team in the January. Uh, anyway, we achieved that target. So one, it got everyone working well together. Um, as I say, the numbers stripped back quite a lot. Mm. And then we went to Budapest in the January um of which I had just found out a week earlier I was pregnant oh wow so so I took 20 recruiters to Budapest where we stayed in a one accommodation Airbnb with just like five bedrooms in it and like six beds per bedroom yeah yeah and uh, yeah and I just found out I was pregnant so I mean it was mental it was such a wild trip but it was also lovely um it's great for the team obviously and when we came back from that for me, just I think consistent communication all the time. Well, like no one expects everyone to succeed all the time. So even when we fail, because everything was communicated, like this is why we're doing this, always listening to feedback from others, not really having any hierarchical structure. And 
enabling everyone just to have an equal voice and making sure they they genuinely felt that was the case rather than just like my rhetoric yeah and and that just it just helped and it, it took time that was 2017 so yeah it, it was about two years of just hard slog working with everybody individually what um, was your relationship like with the london business um quite competitive um for me personally it was really strong because Faz was, he was the founder. He was my mentor. He still is, really. Uh, he was the one that believed in me. He spoke very highly of me. He was obviously then giving that narrative back to the London team. So every time I spent time there, they I guess they saw it as like an opportunity to grow even bigger because they then had now this northern presence as well. Did you have a line in the country where like a role came in or something? You had to like argue over it? Or nah, they were that? so focused on the London market and we only did the north. We never really came never across it. That. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I'm interrupting today's episode to mention our sponsor. Talent Ticker are here to help everyone who are in such a candidate short market, right? So if you're looking to grow your recruitment business in 2022, you know candidates are important and Talent Ticker are here to help. What they do is they help recruiters work smart and not hard. They've got over 300 agency clients, recruitment agency businesses that use Talent Ticker. And that helps them connect to the right person at the right time for the right reason. Okay, it also automates a lot of monotonous tasks we use and provides simple tools to identify ideal and off-the-grid candidates, people that are under the radar for open roles. So if you like the sound of finding more deeper-level talent that's not exclusively on LinkedIn, for example, then get over to www.get.talentticker.ai forward slash hoxo. You'll find the link in the episode. Go and take advantage of the special offer they've got on there for our listeners so you do look after it all now right have you got I london do. yeah so when did yeah. that all when did that change come around that you took over the whole thing so um as i say i was just literally building blocks like just getting everything where i wanted it getting the right the right people were absolutely key to all of this and not everything's been perfect each time so some trial and error um the guy I just mentioned to you that joined we think Jay he's been really integral to that because he was kind of building this team under me which enabled me to lead more and mm -hmm. take on broader roles and then I had my son so obviously I was pregnant I had my son in 2018 I took seven months off maternity leave of which Jay led the team then and then London just cracked on and did their thing and then when I came back into the business in 2019 um I think that's COVID, wasn't it? March of yeah. 2019. So, yeah, I came back. Here. He was a June baby. Oh, no, COVID so, yeah. was 2020. COVID was 2020. Right, 2020. So, sorry, when I came back in 2019. God, I'm trying to lose another year. I've already lost two. I'm giving myself a third. Um, yeah, I, I think I had about 11 months to just continue doing a bit of a rebuild. Um, right. I was being exposed to different areas of the business. I think Faz, Faz's plan was always to complete the exit. Right. Because when we acquired the business, he remained for a period. It was meant to be two years. I think he ended up staying five. Wow. Um, so, yeah, after that 11 months, then when COVID hit, because we had done everything literally from ground level up, you know, all the right thing, all the process, the culture, the behaviours for us. I mean, we were so fortunate. But for COVID, we had like seven record quarters the team were flying. They were mm. absolutely amazing. Uh, they knew like we had solid relationships, even the ones where their businesses either suffered. They, they had the capability and I guess just the confidence to not worry about failing. Did you, 
because you got two geographical locations, do you think COVID almost helped bring everyone together as well because it became Zoom? No, do you know what? For us, and I have to, yeah, I feel like I should be careful because of res- being respectful to other areas. But what it really did for us, in truth, was amplify areas of the business that perhaps hadn't started at that building block layer. And it really exposed some areas. So right. actually, for us, two of our offices, which happened to be two offices in the south, um, they went from a combined number of about 130 to 15. Wow. Yeah, it was it was just mental for various reasons. Some people didn't survive it. Some went on furlough. Some were performance managed out of the business. Um Yeah, in truth, I think it was the best thing for our business today because, again, it just accelerated those building blocks. Was Faz involved then or did he go before COVID? Oh, no. Yeah, Faz only exited the business. I'm not even sure when it was now. Um, Officially, I feel like it was April of last year, I think. Oh, in fact, it will have been because that's when I was officially managing director. You and him, you worked so close together through COVID. Oh, super close. Yeah, a really good friend of mine now. Mm. Yeah, top guy. What an amazing opportunity. Like, you know, like, obviously, COVID was horrific on a global scale from a health yeah. perspective. But what an amazing opportunity for you to kind of go through such a difficult period, such a challenge just before he, he was about to go and give you that, probably the, the best form of training to, to set yourself yeah. up. Yeah, I'm super fortunate to that for that. Um, I think like our, our CEO now, Mark, I think he steered the business really safely throughout COVID, mm. which I think you can only really see the success of that it, with hindsight. Um, like everybody was trying the best. Everyone was trying to navigate like as, that, that bloody word unprecedented, but that, mm. that it was over anything. Um, and then I, I had my second baby as well. She was born in September of 2020. Oh, so wow. I actually, I was out of the business for seven months from September, 2020 to Feb. 21 um so it was just there's just loads going on it was mad and nobody in the whole world knew what was going on and you know so how, many, so many, how many how many offices and people have you guys got now so where we are today um we have four uk offices so manchester bristol birmingham and london we've just expanded globally although we don't have a physical presence in the us yet yeah. um so as of today we are 66 heads right and you're so the CEO is out of the Rethink Group? Or, of, That's of, correct, yeah. 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 CEO yeah. of Rethink Group. Yeah. And what's the other brand in Rethink Group that you work with? It's called RTM, although we're RTM. just going through a rebrand and it's mm. rebranding to Rethink. Right, <laughs> going back. <laughs> yeah, just it, it made more sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's going on now. Okay, so what's your? how do you describe your your role now then? Like, So you've come out of this, you're the MD. You've got the CEO above you. You've got this kind of you, you. You're like an an entrepreneur, but intrapreneur in in the fact that you you know you've come through the ranks. And I always find it fascinating because everyone in recruitment thinks you've got to leave and set something up in your underpants to have that ownership <laughs> feeling. Like, talk about how you how do you approach the role and how do you feel about your role as MD in that at the moment. Yeah, so I absolutely love my role. Um, mm. I, I do feel like an owner of the business. Um, mm. I am, I do have equity within the business. Yep. So there is an element of that. Um, I think even, not even just myself, but like the team around me, 
we're all hugely invested. Like we have, we, we work for each other. Yeah, we, we do great things. We're so invested in the people that we work with that I don't think we could consider anything else. It's, you know, it's just crazy. And I think joining as a senior consultant, just like, oh, I've relocated from Leeds. Like here I am. Mm. Just it's mental to think what I've done in the last 11 years. Um, and for me now, like my biggest responsibility, I, I always ask myself this question, like, and what do other MDs do? Because some will be super client facing, some will still be winning loads of business, some will do all the compliance, like everyone will have their different strengths. And the way that, I mean, firstly, I've been left to do the role however I want. I guess if the numbers and the performance level wasn't there, it would get looked at. But because yeah. we've always performed, I'm completely left to my own devices. And the way that I have orchestrated my role has been genuinely the majority all focused internally of the dg headcount so i I think it's my responsibility that the 66 66 heads now one they're the right people two they have everything that they need that they're really supported that i know what their future like wants to look like like how we can facilitate that like everyone in our business is aged between i don't know 21 and 45 so the chances of anyone retiring a DG, pretty slim, yeah? yeah? It fascinates me why people don't think they're going to go on and work elsewhere. So, like, I just think, what can we do for the time that they're in our business to have the most fun, learn the most skills, have the best experience, so that as and when people go on to do other things, they're just more equipped as people yeah. and that they're always improving. So that's what I take responsibility for. And how would you? How does that translate into act initiatives or activities? Like, because you hear a lot of people, like most people would say they'd want similar things for their people, mm-hmm. but they just they don't get around to doing anything different. They just carry on as they always mm-hmm. have. What What have you managed to implement? Do you think that's contributing to you getting to that vision? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, okay, so I think the how we're structured has been a key part. So when I came back from maternity leave in February, um, I just you know listening to podcasts the way that everybody does and I came across something which was around the Spotify engineering model and as I was listening to it I was like wow that that sounds so like how we do things but like someone's labeled it and they put these titles on it so I just started scribbling and making notes like all the things that applied to us and the things that didn't and almost like created this model for how we're structured and then I implemented it when I came back off mat leave so I guess if you picture like a normal org chart, you've got like your MD or whoever at the top and then the lines that go down and it's kind of this hierarchy. Ours is nothing like that. Like you wouldn't even, it looks like some kind of mad bees hexagon thing if you look at our org chart, but it's there's some real key philosophies in that. So we're split into tribes and squads. So we've got our four core tribes, which are the four areas I told you, tech, creative, health, and supply chain with logistics. Mm-hmm. And then all of those then break out into squads. So what that's enabled me to do is work with people around areas of key focus in a line, in line with market trends, but then also to really develop their skill set within those areas by having like these smaller squads of people and they all run autonomously. So there's, there is a squad lead per squad. But for example, we've got like an open source dev squad. Okay. I think there's six people in it. Um, There's one person who's responsible for an associate, but then they all work really collaboratively. They share all their business. They they sit together. They work together. They create their own ideas. They create their own processes. 
everything they do is aligned to the bigger company goals, but actually they run completely autonomously. And we have 16 squads across our business. Some are just two people, and that's where we're looking to like reinvest. So I guess so having all the that- squad leaders report to someone who reports to you, or like is it is it does it go more traditional at that point? Yeah, so I've got a leadership team of six directors that are responsible for the core areas. So, for example, a tech director, a health director. Uh, The reason it's six instead of four from the core areas is because we've now got two for the US across two different brands. Um, The squad leads report into those directors. But actually, like my relationship with everybody is, I mean, it's it's obviously not exactly the same because I get to spend more time with others. But it's really, really important for me that everybody would sit with me. I might go for lunch with people. I I do something called an associate's day, but I do it every job title where I'll spend the whole day with that group of people. There might be some training stuff in there. We might just go and have a fun day out together. Mm. Like wherever you think the needs are at that time or where you think they'll get the most benefit. So for me, as long as I'm super organized by just like plugging everything in together, and that can be anything from team building events to quarterly sales days to um, external leadership coaching. It might just be that I'm spending the day. Like a lot of it is it's just time and communication and the sharing of ideas. It sounds really simple. That's the bit I love about it. It's it not, is. Oh, you're not throwing me any bamboozling stuff. It's just really simple. But I bet to I bet to execute it consistently, the challenge that people the people struggle with is often. Yeah, and I, and I think like authentically as well. Yeah. Like if I, if I didn't believe in anything I'm saying, then I'm a complete like I'm false, and people would see through that. Like we we've, we've got 66 very very bright individuals that are all perfectly capable of thinking of for themselves, making their own decisions, knowing what's right for them. And I just think just harnessing and spending time and listening to people, so many great ideas come from that. And then it's it's not just about ideas, is it? It is about the execution of those ideas. So it could just be something really small. Like we're all going to the Peak District tomorrow. There'll be definitely some people that think, oh, I can't be bothered going. Like it's a two-hour drive or I've got loads of work on or it's sunny and I'd rather sit in my garden. Like whatever they're thinking. But Every, like we've got such a core solid like team mentality like we do this once a quarter this particular team building's annual um but just everyone being together i don't think we'll get all 66 there it's probably gonna be more like that 52 um but just the appreciation of spending time with people because yeah like, like life is just we've all got the same amount of time the seven days yeah whatever we work within that time if you're happy people experience you're constantly being upskilled and like our mechanism our product is recruitment and the sale of people sounds awful but you know what i mean um it it isn't really much more complicated than that it is just around bringing it all together what we talked about before was obviously your approach to life yourself so and your kids are your priority right so i mean there is an underrepresentation of females in senior roles in recruitment firms, right? There's no doubt about it. When I look at the people I've interviewed on this show for the last three years, four years, um, no, three years, it's it's been like 90% male, right? And you go to these events of networking events and it is all men that run recruitment firms, right? Um, and a lot of that, I believe has come down to the the role females have in in the family, right? A lot of people will will go and have children, and then it it changes everything for them. Like, talk about your mindset of how you've managed to have two children 
and your career is elevated at the same time. Like that's so rare. Yeah, it is mental, and I am like really proud of that. And and I I love. I mean, I mean, I've obviously not done this to show others that it's possible, but I absolutely love that that's a byproduct of it. Mm. Um, I don't really know how I thought. Um, I actually had, I've only had, uh, sorry, not only, in, in my early career, I had three female bosses. Um, none of them had children. I never really thought about it. I certainly never saw it as a barrier. That's just maybe not my thought process. It's not yeah. my natural state. Uh, I come from quite a large family. Um, and I'm just, I, I take a lot on. So for me, it was just, and it's ignorance, isn't it? You don't know how knackered you're going to be with the kids. Yeah. Like everyone tells you you're knackered, but you don't really know what it entails until you're in it. Yeah. So it, it was, I've, I've met someone that I fell in love with, that the next thing was that I was going to have children. That was never, ever disputed that I would yeah. think about work. Um, I did only have seven months off because I was really invested in work. It felt okay at the time. It was seven very very you know I spent 24 7 with my kid at that time and then I worked from home I obviously because of COVID I still got to see my children at like different parts like I I never put them in full-time nursery so I either condensed my week a little bit um slowly eased them in like that was really important to me um and then I think my kind of my philosophy now is I can get a lot of work done like I focus a lot uh we've just had um a senior consultant return to work after having 12 months off and her boss is one of my directors a male and he's been dying dying that she's away he was his top performer he absolutely adores and he's like do you really have to have 12 months off and I'm like shut up you can't say that obviously it's tongue-in-cheek and she's been back a week and I was buzzing to see how she performed because I know when I came back to work often after mat leave like I was always efficient I was always organized but this was like some kind of on-speed performance yeah. because you are, you have to be so focused. And just seeing what this girl's done in literally six working days, I'm just like literally smiling from ear mm. to ear. Like I get it. That's where I was. And actually more women should be thinking like that. Like one year out, one year, time goes so quickly. One year out in this industry will not harm you at all. So mm. Yes, okay, she might have been promoted in this year. I'm sure she would have been because of the trajectory she was on. But she's come back. She's definitely going to be more rounded. She's definitely going to feel more fulfilled. I have no doubt that that promotion will be imminent because it's going to, it's like supercharged. Yeah. And then the next one, which might have been every 12 months, might now be every nine months because of this whole new refocus and way of looking at things. And I don't think my experience was any different. So I, I would actively encourage it because I just think you add a new dimension to your life that would otherwise be unknown. It's amazing that, but having you at the top will will give people confidence to even ask for it. And for, whereas if it's a purely male dominated leadership team that you know it's never been done before in the business, I think it'll create. And look, my, my business is a you know with me and I'm a two males have not had a child, you know ourselves, and it's difficult. Um, so I think it's really good that you've managed to not only done it yourself, but it's it's rubbing off. What what's your approach? So how do you look at your week now? Then you talk about this efficiency, but give me some more practical insight. So you, you, I know you're a healthy, like you're, you're interested in your health and well being. You, you've been running this morning and stuff. Like how how do you cram all the things you got to do in a week? What's your kind of attitude and, and diary look like? 
Okay, so firstly, I'd probably look at my diary 30 to 40 times a day. Mm-hmm. And I reprioritize because obviously things come in as they do with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so Jay, who's my tech director, he has access to my diary and he was taking the piss out of me the other night. He said, oh, so you're having salmon for your tea, are you? And I was like, why have you just said that? He's like, you've got it in your diary. I said, listen, yeah. I've, got the, I've got the in-law staying with me. If I don't just plan what I'm cooking each night, like I, yeah. I'm, my husband cleans the house. I do all the cooking. So we've yeah. got a, firstly, I've got a 50-50 relationship, yeah. which massively, massively helps. Like I've got two brothers. Actually, one brother's really good. The other brother's shocking. He's an yeah. electrician. His working solicitor wife and two children do everything. It is yeah. mental. Um, so I think the balance with your partner is really important and like that support system around you. But yeah, my, my, just everything's in my diary. Literally two. If I'm getting on a 917 train, I'll put out 8.40 to 9.10 in taxi and then calls that I could do in that time or like maybe a small little task that I could do in the taxi time. So like if I'm driving somewhere, I know I can do calls. If I'm on a train, I know I can get like project work done on my laptop. It's just really knowing when all of those are. But I also, which you're going to think is really strange, for that not to be too overwhelming, I book out quite a lot of time just for myself. So like Friday at 3.40 this week, I'm going to watch Elvis at the cinema. I just, I really want to watch it. I'm going to Spain for a month in August. It probably won't be on the cinema then. So that, that'll just be two hours for me, just a bit of downtime. Whether someone comes with me or not, I don't really care. Like this is what yeah. I'm doing. And it's just constantly having those things. And it, it is just about being really organized, which it doesn't always work. Loads of yeah. random things. Do you have help? Do you have help with that the pick up and drop offs and stuff like that for school? No, uh, no, but we did move to Preston twelve months ago. We we lived in Manchester. All my family live in Preston. Um, and like yesterday was my day in the office, so I left at seven and I wasn't coming home till ten last night. Went out Mm. for dinner with a colleague, and my husband had decided to go to Birmingham yesterday because he wanted to meet a new starter. And he thought he'd have a couple of beers at lunch. So he decided not to drive. My husband barely drinks, right? Yeah. So it, it, even two beers at lunch, I was like, you'll be fine to drive if you have two bottles. So anyway, he's like, no, I won't drive. I'm going to drive to Preston train station. All the trains were cancelled from Birmingham. So we literally had nothing. He was stuck in Birmingham. I was in Manchester with no house key or car key. So luckily, because we're in Preston, called my dad. He stopped his work. Yeah called my mom she reshifted a few things around so and yeah. we don't have any um consistent support if that makes sense like yeah. the kids don't go somewhere on a wednesday but any emergencies i'm one of 17 in our family wow. like we're just yeah there's loads of us so there's there is always someone to help but then equally there's always someone that needs help which is why i don't really like asking because there's always <laughs> a lot going on with everyone so if i go to preston i'm just going to see Phoenix Colder. I was at your names, but dotted around. Honestly, honestly, like, it's mental. There they are. There they are. Oh well, my mum, my mum was in Blackpool in Bispam. Um, oh right, okay, that's not leaving. Far. She's leaving. She, she's Where's not she going out. to. So she, she's from we're Manchester. She went out there about ten years ago when we sold the house. Um, when she sold our house, and then I think she's moving to Sheffield near us now because we're like oh. we're the we're the closest thing to a family she's got okay. for kids and stuff. My older brother lives in Chorlton. Um, he's a recruiter. He's not. He's. I don't think he's that fussed where my mum is. My little brother's just buggered off to South America. He's in Guatemala right now. Oh my um, gosh! So uh, I think she's moved to Sheffield. There's no guarantee, but I think she's had enough of Blackpool. She had some real issues with the neighbours there, and 
You can get some dodgy neighbours in Blackpool. Honestly, it's been drama. <laughs> and then uh, going back to Manchester, she's lived her whole life there. So I think Sheffield, I think I'd love to have her. But we've got Lauren's Lauren's mum, unfortunately, had a stroke a few years ago. She's disabled. Oh, the ste- her stepdad's amazing. He does so much. He looks after her. He has a job and he picks the kids up for us. And so we have, and Lauren runs a beauty salon down the road. So she works sort of 9 30 till two every four days and one day she works late and then i'll have yeah. like tonight i've got the kids for a few hours um we make it work and it's uh i know i, I know now i've come into it when they're there were six and eight now the seven and nine when i moved in yeah. with them so it's like different world for me to go from being just me and my dog to two dogs and wow but we get there and it's been uh i love it it's great fun but it is trying to prioritize like you said I'm, i've now got different levels of priorities and things to think about that last year i lived in manchester and if i worked till 10 at night it was easy i didn't matter yeah now i can't like you've got to you've got to be there you've got to do stuff so it's trying yeah and and things change all the time and that's also fine like i was going to london next week for three days so in my head i was thinking that's two nights away from my kids but i can get loads done in london i can spread out these four hour meetings that i've got i'll do one a day Anyway, someone texted me last night and said the trains are on strike. So I was like, okay, I'm going to change my week now. But the benefits of that means that I'll see my kids here. I won't go out for two nights for dinner, which means I won't drink wine for two nights. So instead, I'll do more gym. So there's a massive plus to that. And then now I'm going to go to Manchester next week, which I didn't think I was going there until September when I was back from holiday. So I'm going to find loads of pros in that and just, yeah, reshift things. How many days a week are you... In in a, in an office and how many days at home? So I personally do two to three days a week in an office, but that only ends up being like one off, like Manchester one, Birmingham one, as an example. Yeah. And um, the teams that they all pick them their own, so everyone does something a bit different. I'd say the majority of them do a set three days, but they're different in every office. And then some people want to do five days, and some people do just one or whatever. It ranges really. It's all about that flexibility. What my final thing is: What do you think is happening right now? There's a lot of lot of talk of the market changing. Lots of talk of the the squeeze that's going to be upon us through recession. Um, I've got a lot of clients that are still flying. I think my advice is always to get ahead and think: If there is a slowdown, what can you be doing now? Not wait. Not just sit yeah. on. Not just be a big fat account management team and then go, oh crap, exactly. the road dryer. But what, what are you seeing honestly in your business and, and how are you approaching things at the minute? I think in terms of what we're seeing, a lot of it is business as usual. Um, it would be completely naive and ignorant to say that a recession isn't upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we've just got to one hope that we can ride through it. I mean, that the COVID was a recession and it was it was a short recession. But I appreciate there's a lot of trends in the market that are indicating uh, a much bigger one. I guess, like, from my side, it sounds quite selfish, but I've got a team of 66 people. in the wor- On the world stage, I'm not even a drop in the ocean. So yes. during recessions, every single company does not fold, even if it's the majority. So there will always be businesses that are thriving and businesses that are surviving. Mm. So for me, it's just super important that we are – that one tiny little pinprick of people and um, we're still continuing to do business. So it's about having really strong relationships, building up a skill set with the consultants where they're aware that the market's really good right now, but this isn't the norm. And it's what skills are we developing within a, those individuals so that they can, when the backs are against the wall, they can broaden how they do their job. 
um, because that's what we really learned in COVID. Like some of our pockets of businesses did unreal and some just did shocking. And it was purely because of that skill set, not just their customers. Yeah, it's being able to get out there and make things happen. Make things happen. Yeah. 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 And do you think... Do you think the younger, newer generation that have, that have come into the business in the last year or two, you know, since COVID, perhaps, like, are they are they are they, are they understanding it? Are they? It's are they, are hard. You... Like, we we have nine associates, and often we will say, like, we can't tell you how good this market is. Like, you've just got to, and they do trust us. So they're because yeah. the thing is, they're still going to find the job really challenging. I don't think anybody in their year one of recruitment says, "Well, that's no. easy." Right. It's, it's awful that first year you don't know anything and you're just finding your way but we are having a lot of successes so it's about balancing like these successes trying don't come accustomed to them but actually developing their skill set and just, just being really open like, at the end of the day even though they're associates and it's the new generation they're still adults they're still professionals they're still perfectly capable of understanding information and looking at the world in a, in a different way so yeah, it's just, again, constant communication. I keep banging on about it, but it's just so important. And where, so you, this is my final question. You talked about the, the vision of, get, it's about you being 40 now, maybe 45. But what, what does that mean for the business? Like, what, what do you see for the business? What are you communicating internally that you're trying to get to? I know you've got the, the kind of mission statement, but yeah. is there a headcount or a location or is there something in there that's like, if we achieve this, we know we're there? Um, I guess I I have my personal ones that I communicate, but equally people don't work in that business for me to hit my personal goals. So whilst I share mine, I want them to all achieve theirs. So some big things for us, like global domination would be fabulous. And what I mean by that is we've just expanded into the US and Europe. But the, these 16 squads, like my largest squad at the moment is seven. My smallest squad is one. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at all of those squads and saying, like, to the ladies and gents within them, there is so much scope. Like, go and build that squad. Be a 40, 50, 60-man squad in this wider business. Like, there's there's nothing that's capped for anybody, um, which I think is fascinating. So from my perspective, whilst I'm not going to set a particular headcount, I will never compromise on the quality of people. So whether we hit 100 heads or just 70 heads, if they're the right quality of people and we're progressing and improving – I'm satisfied, um, but I would love each squad, firstly, for all to be at a million, less than a million, sorry, to all have a minimum of a million pounds NFI. So we're almost there yeah. now. Obviously, some squads do more than a million now, but some are quite small and they're just doing yeah. 500K. So that's our first line in the sand. And then I think if you've got 16 squads, maybe some more squads, 18, 20, and they're all doing two, three, four, five million you know, you're a really, really strong business. If you've got a 50% contribution and you're doing those sorts of numbers, like I would be extremely satisfied where I've got the business to. Yeah, that's some serious, serious business. And then, like you say, you've got to keep thinking about the roles for others, haven't you? You've got to keep reinventing yourself so that other people can step up. And, and at some point, it will be about giving someone else the opportunity to be you, I imagine. Definitely. Um, yeah, that's, you, that's, that is what it's about. Yeah, if you've been that person who came in and went all that way, then it's someone else's turn in the future. Definitely. But it's an amazing story, Tony. There's not many people that have 
have come into the industry like you and have, have been through everything you've been through and and are running a really successful business that's really well known with a brand that you know is going in the right direction it's usually a, a different story and um i've really enjoyed finding more about it if anyone's listening and thinks you're an inspiration i want to talk to maybe it's a well, someone who is thinking about pregnancy or just someone who wants to know what it's like as a female to get, go up the ranks. So it might be a male who just loves your, your mindset. Are, they, are you okay for people to message you on oh, LinkedIn and reach oh, out? Of course I am. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I love listening to others and sharing my experience. If there's any way that I can maybe not help, maybe I can help or even just offer some advice. That That's what it's about. If, if everybody thought that way with just like a real open-mindedness, then we'd definitely be in a better place than we are. Like it's getting that way more is better well that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to contribute my bit bring every bring the industry closer is my vision and i think you know i think i think we're, we're helping to achieve it especially you through COVID. Are. you're doing Thank a you. really great job of it i've loved speaking to you sean it's been nice getting to know you as well yeah, i hope you've enjoyed it well look we'll get you back on in the future we'll catch up in 12 months time and see where you are along along the plan in the meantime please stay safe all right take care of yourself oh thanks enjoy the rest of your day Thank you, as always, for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode was brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn that's how to brand themselves that's how to produce content that's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business we're coaching people all over the world every single day if any of that sounds of interest please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me Sean Anderson a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you tune in again next week that's live on LinkedIn I'll see you soon